Hello, what's the crack? Welcome to Best of Belfast and another quarantine phone call where we are hopping on the phone with someone interesting from Northern Ireland to connect with them and hear their story. Today's guest is a recommendation from a two-time guest on the show, Mark Todd. Mark's someone whose opinion I take very, very seriously and I trust a lot. So whenever Mark tells me to check something out or Mark says, you know, you should go, you should watch this, you should listen to this, uh, it's never, ever let me down. So Mark has recommended that we jump on the phone with Terry Doherty today. Now, I don't know very much about Terry. What I do know is, is that he's an artist. He paints, he writes. He has curated a family art exhibition involving him. He has a great taste in music and apparently introduced Mark to Joshua Burnside and still goes to gigs, even though he's in his 60s, which I just think is class. And I know that he was a postman and now works in the post office. I also know that this isn't his first radio-esque appearance he's been on radio ulster perhaps once perhaps a few times and other than that i'm just really excited just to jump in dive off the deep end here and uh call terry and see what he's about hear his story and uh share it with you as well so that's it i'm really going in blind but sometimes these are the the best episodes hello hi terry how's it going no not so bad matthew Great stuff. Uh, yeah, I know I, I, it's a bit of a spontaneous one for me as well. I just got your text there. So yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to just kind of jumping in, just seeing where it takes us, man. So thank you so much for, uh, <laughs> <I> will, <laughs> for agreeing to jump I mean, in the I, deep end. I'm, I'm no expert on anything, you know. I mean, I, I've I've just worked in the post office for a long, long time. Although I've seen umpteen changes and I've, I've been everywhere. Yeah. You know, I worked in every section there is and... They've sent me everywhere, you know, Orkney, Shetland, Iron Islands, you name it. Well, I think anyone who's mastered anything, whether it's the post office or whether it's carpentry, I think there's there's a lot of insight and interesting things to to hear and learn from and there. And it's going through the troubles. I don't really want to talk about the troubles. Maybe that's a, that's a no-no, a taboo, but there was some good stuff. Well, not good stuff. They're, they're good stories. Like yeah, they're yeah, funny. yeah. They're really funny, actually. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I mean, before... I'm not joking. Actually, they are really funny. Great, you know. And you think, you know, it's the troubles, and it's a time when people are getting killed and bombed and all the rest, and yet they're funny. Yeah, and I think that's like a a very Northern Irish thing. And I'm I'm always interested to hear how our humour has actually uh, yeah. helped us overcome and survive through you know yeah, exactly. horrible situations like the troubles. Correct. Well, let's do I this then. Okay, you. so one of the places that I, I usually start a episode off with is do you have a first memory because sometimes that can kind of lead us down an interesting place so uh, do you mind sharing an early memory that you have a really early memory you mean yeah i mean i remember starting the first day in the post office that well enough yeah well how old were you then you were probably you were not not three you were 18 no no i was 18 i started and why i always remember it is because uh, they just done away with messengers, and they told me I had to be in before I started. So it was the twelfth, I'm twelfth of February. So it was twelfth of February. It was a Saturday, so I started on the Monday, which wow. was St Valentine's Day. Ah, what, what a and what I, a, what and a I walked start. around and I thought, I'll never stick this. That's <laughs> it, you know. I'm packing this in because there were there were so many letters, you know, so many cards. Wow. I just thought I would never make it. So there you are. when you say messengers, what do you mean by that? There used to be messengers in the post office 
there were telegrams. That shows you how long ago it is. There were telegrams that were sent that were written on, you know, paper. Yeah. And um, there was the postman that delivered letters, but the telegrams were actually delivered by telegram boys. Okay. Um, in, in the city, in Belfast City, they would have had, like, uh, mopeds. Wow. And they delivered the telegrams on mopeds. And they literally, and I mean seriously, they finished, I think, about a week or two weeks before I started. Wow. They just they, they stopped them, and they just decided that any telegrams there were were to be delivered by postman, spare postman, you know, they that's would just take it out in a van or whatever, you know. So the reason why that's interesting to me is because I have a bit of a passion and an obsession with bike messengers. Um, I was All in, right. I lived in New York for a while, and uh, there's quite a big, bicycle courier culture over there but when yeah, i moved back yeah. when i moved back to northern ireland i started working for deliveroo which is delivering food oh, to people right. door yep, to door yep, on the yep. bike and uh-huh. so i'm always just interested to see bicycle messaging as a very kind of loose term is sort of having a bit of a revival comeback with all of these takeaway mm-hmm. startups so mm-hmm. i had no idea that there was actually like messengers in belfast who would deliver telegrams oh, yeah, like yeah. that but, they, they, but they, they were, I mean, before that before mopeds they would have known bicycles mm. obviously but uh i mean that's a long time back but uh i mean they would delivered everything in belfast with uh with mopeds Crazy. uh they were all young all young fellas you know and they wouldn't have been old enough to start as a postman once they reached a certain age i think it was 18 i think they started as a postman or somewhere around that somewhere around that age so being a messenger was that sort of like the the entry level into the post office then or well it could have been you could have started as a postman you could have started as a postman but a lot of boys you know that left school early started as messengers because they saw that as a way in wow that was a good way in, you know. So i mean if you were a messenger and you obviously didn't do anything wrong you were going to be a postman yeah so what you brought know, you to... um, But I started as as a postman when I was eighteen, and then uh, I worked my way up. I mean, I, I ended up. I'm sure, I'm not. I will not tell you anymore. But I ended up <laughs> as the area manager. That's that's what it was. I was area manager for Belfast. Nice. So uh, after going through marketing as well, I worked for marketing in London. Then come back here because my daughter was ill. <clears throat> Mental. So what yeah. brought you into the post office or should I really say before that, why were you, did you have to wait until you were 18? Were you still in school? Did you have another job? Were well, you studying? I, I, well, I had I'd gone up to the old level. I had gone up to the old level and um, I wanted to go to art college and I'd applied, I'd applied for two art colleges, Belfast and Hammersmith, which I was accepted for. Both of them. Wow. Um, the problem was my father was uh, disabled, and uh, my mother uh, was a cleaner. She cleaned banks. Uh, believe it or not, she cleaned. You probably wouldn't even remember them now. The Belfast Savings Bank and the Belfast Bank. Where the were Belfast they? Positioned them for the, us. Well, the, the, these were in Larne, actually. The <laughs> Belfast Bank. The Belfast Bank became. The Northern Bank, I think, ah. and the Belfast Savings Bank became the TSB. Gotcha. Um, and she, I used to go down. Well, there's an early memory. There is an early memory. There you it is. Me that one. You just find an it. early memory was that when I was, I was still in primary school. Must only have been five or six. But 
um, my mother used to take me to um, the bank at night because she would she would have been looking after me. Wow. My father couldn't, so she used to take me down to the bank. And while she cleaned the bank, she gave me a duster and brasso, and I cleaned the brass handles on the drawers and on the doors. Wow. So, <laughs> so how old would you have been when that was going on? How old? Yeah. Probably. Um, I would say, I know, I know you think I'm probably exaggerating about six. And, uh, you know, I had to go there because there was nowhere else for me to go. I mean, if it was today, you would get, um, you'd probably get prosecuted for child abuse. Mm. But that was, the, that was the way it was then, you know. Well, you have seen, you've seen a lot of change in your lifetime, that's for sure. Oh, enormous. Enormous. I mean, from the post office point of view, it was, it was massive. You know, going through all the bad times, you know, coming through as a postman. Uh, I mean, there's some things. Uh, you're probably recording this, aren't you? Oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I've, I've already. It's okay. No, no. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's, that's fine. But uh, no, I was making a lot of noise there. That's why, you know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. No, um, uh, there has been a lot of change. Yeah. I mean, come through, coming through the post office, uh, coming through as a postman, and then uh, I wanted to stay as a postman. I actually wanted to stay as a postman because I enjoyed it that much. I enjoyed the camaraderie and the uh, the other postmen and the in the office uh, who were absolutely brilliant. They were funny. They were really intelligent. And I know you think that I'm being uh, I'm being funny when I say that, but they weren't. They were really intelligent, and I learned an awful lot from them. But um, I remember I turned down going to the counter, you know, which was a, a, a sort of promotion. Anyway, uh, one of the postmen who was retiring the day he was retiring, he came up to me and he and he just put his arm around me and he said, "When you're sixty year old." Or sixty-five-year-old, it's tough during the winter. Mm. And he looked at me and he nodded, and I thought, "Yep, I understand." Yeah. <laughs> so that's when I decided to move on. Wow. And I, and I moved on then to uh, to work at the counter. So when did when for... you say that the these <clears throat> guys taught you a lot, and you speak about their intelligence, let's let's hear more about that. Oh, no, uh, what I really mean is life. Yeah. You know, and the humor. Yeah. <laughs> the humor. And they knew everybody. They knew everybody in the town. You know, they knew everybody. I mean, letters used to come in. I, I, I've seen people come in um, to the post office and they'll say, um, you know, a letter was delivered to me. You know, I don't know how it was because it maybe says Mr. Smith. Yeah. Whatever. You know, no other address. But what used to happen was a letter would have come into the office. Say it was Lauren, for instance, Mr. Smith, Lauren. And what would happen is one man would take it out where, where he knew there was a Smith, ask them, they would say no. He'd bring it in, give it to the next wow. postman, and it would and it would go around the office until they get the right person. Mental. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so they were great that way, and they really did make an effort. Mm. And they really did. But, uh, you know, then you got the funny bits, you know, where a letter would come in. I can remember one. It was uh, Mrs. Hill, uh, Kent Avenue, and somebody shouted out, "You know, is there a Hill on Kent Avenue?" Of course, he came back. You know, 
Yeah, it is, but it's not too bad. You know, you'll you'll make it okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. you know, it was just silly things like that, yeah, you know. But yeah. uh, no, the postmen were fantastic. The, the the thing was, I was eighteen when I started as a postman, and although I said at that time nobody wanted to be a postman, mm. they would now, but they didn't then, and um, the uh, all the other postmen were about late. 50s or over it yeah so i was very young you know so uh, that's what i say so i learned all the all the tricks of the trade <laughs> why did you want to become a postman then if no one else wanted to well i i, I didn't actually um what happened was i uh, say i was accepted for art college couldn't go because i had to bring a, a wage and uh and the house mm. and um i had been accepted i applied for a job and this was the height of the troubles. I applied for a job uh, designing stained glass windows, and they had accepted me on the strength of my portfolio for art college. Wow. And uh, it was a firm on the Springfield Road in Belfast. can't remember their name. But anyway, the, it was a big business then because the troubles were on and the, uh, a lot of the well, a lot of the churches and chapels and whatever were, were the windows were getting blown in. Yeah. So um, th- there was a lot of business about. But to be able to design or whatever, you had to do an apprenticeship, and the apprenticeship lasted, oh, I can't remember, five years or something out there uh, of an apprenticeship. And I think they offered me £7 a week. <sighs> Off the top of my head, it was £7 a week. And I would have had to travel, you know, my own travel as well. So uh, my father, in the meantime, unbeknown to me, he knew somebody in the post office and had asked for an application for him. And uh, he said, apply for the post office, a royal mail. It was all one then, so mm. it was obviously. So, uh, and I got it, and it was £10 a week. Wow. So there you go. So I started on £10 a week. Uh, looking back, of course I would have liked it on Windows, but um, well, that's water under the bridge, and I had a good time still, and I had great experiences through my career, you know. Absolutely. So, uh, and uh, from what Mark tells me, that uh, creative artistic side of you has never left. Oh, that sounds very grand. <laughs> it, it sounds very grand. No, it does. But I mean, obviously, like anybody else, you've got your interests and your hobbies. And uh, although I was heavily into uh, sport when I was younger, uh, I still, as I said to you, I wanted to apply for art college. So I've always been interested in art. And I've always thought that art and music and theatre and whatever are all uh, uh, linked. So, yes, I've always been interested in them. I've never lost touch, as a matter of fact, probably since uh, my retirement, although I'm back to work a couple of days a week, uh, really just to keep me moving about. But, uh, well, music has picked up because since my retirement, I thought, well, all the one, all the concerts, all the people that I wanted to see and I couldn't get to see because I couldn't afford it or I hadn't got the time or mm. it was on the wrong night or whatever, I thought, no, nope, I'm not going to miss them now. We're going. Class. So we've been to, oh, I couldn't even begin to tell you. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe uh, at, least, at least one a month 
sometimes two a month yeah. uh, for this last maybe 10 years. So uh, there's people, <laughs> and it always seems to be <laughs> that I meet people, you know, um, I, I, given the nature of the job and, and the nature of the, uh, the jobs I've been in or, or the positions I've been in, it's always been a case that I've had to talk to people. Mm. So the, the thing is, I, I always speak to people, uh, whether it be in the queue or in the crowd or whatever, and I have met more people <laughs> that have surprised and shocked me. Uh, I'll give you, a, 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 for instance, we went to uh, Iceland. Wow. For a holiday. Love Iceland. Uh, and, um, oh, fantastic place. Such beautiful people. Lovely, lovely people and great country. But we went to Iceland and um, as I said, you know, I said to my wife, uh, I'm going to nip down to the the, uh, the art museum. Mm. Um, I'll go down by myself and have a walk around at my leisure. You know. So I nipped down and unbeknown to me, it, there was a, a fee to get in, which worked out about £15. Yeah. Everything's expensive in Iceland. Really expensive. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> always everything's expensive extremely expensive anyway i had only about the equivalent of about 14 pound on me so i couldn't get in <laughs> but uh, as i walked past the front door there was there was a man com- came past and he had a quite a bad disability and he was limping badly and uh, one arm was was up by his chest anyway he had gone past the front door as i'd gone in anyway i come out and I turned a corner, and here was this man with another man on the footpath. With you know, well, the other guy had a chainsaw and wood, oh and he was cutting the wood with a chainsaw. So I said, uh, "Wood? That looks like uh, Greenheart. Greenheart's what they use for um, uh, keysides. Well, they use concrete now, but mm. uh, they used to use those years ago." And he said, "No, it's pine." And I says, no, I think it'd be Greenheart. That was the one that never wrought it. And he says, no, they used pine in Iceland. And I says, all right, fair enough. And uh, I said, what do you actually do? And he says, well, I'm making furniture for this man here. He designs it. I make it for him. So (laughs) remember, I couldn't get into the the museum. So this man says, uh, yeah, I'm designing furniture for an exhibition in Iceland. And then it's going on to the Saatchi Gallery in London. Wow. And I said, you joking, aren't you? No, 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 no. He says, come with me. And he opens the back door to the museum <laughs> and takes me in and takes me into this uh, big storeroom, which is full of the wood from ice, ice, uh, sorry, Reykjavik's uh, dockside, which they'd replaced with concrete. Mm. And he was designing and making furniture out of this stuff. Wow. Uh, so he takes me in as we as we office beside it. And he has a, a computer and all these boxes around him. And on the on the actual bench, uh, there were videos. So I looked at the videos and I said, what, what are these here? Are you watching these or what? And he says, no, I was a film director. What? And I said, what? <laughs> You're joking. And he says, no, no, there's sort of a cult film those there. You know, they've, they've gone into, into that sort of area. Yeah. And I said, what? Are you? I don't believe this, you know. And he says, "Well, wait, wait a minute." And he put on, put it on the uh, computer and started to show me this. And then he says, "But what I'm doing next 
what I'm doing next, and he showed me these boxes. He says, I'm being sponsored, I think it was by UNICEF or, or some one of the major charities. Uh, they're doing an exhibition, um, and it's man's, uh, oh, what would be the word? What man has done to other other men? Mm. And um, he, he opened a box and he brought out slates, and he said, these slates are from uh, a house in Hiroshima that was wow. hit by the atomic bomb. He opened another box and he says, this is part of the Berlin Wall. And another box, and it was uh, someplace in Oslo that had been hit by terrorists. Uh, another box that had part of the quayside from Liverpool where the slaves were, were brought in. And I, I just stood and looked at him. I said, what? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, this will be on very soon. And I've since, look, since looked it up on Google. Mm. And it was. Mental. And when it, when, it, when it came, the strange thing was, when I was coming away, I says, thanks very much. You know, you know. And he says, no, thank you. <laughs> and I says, what were you thanking me for? And he says, no, you took your time and you come in and you listened. Wow. And I says, no, no, thanks very much. Now, his name was Johan Sigmarsson. Johan Sigmarsson. If you ever, you, you can look that up yourself and Google it. By the way, here's a piece of useless information. You probably know it anyway. Anybody in Iceland, you know the boys are always their father's name with son on it. Ah. So you never have your father's name. So in my case, my name being Terry, uh, if I had a son, he would be like Mark Terry's son. Gotcha. And if you have a daughter, it, it would be Aaron Terry daughter. D-O-T-T, ah. whatever. So they they never have the same names. That's <clears> tricky. <as> the, <laughs> it is tricky. That's why I think uh, when uh, no, yeah, I could be wrong in this one, uh, but I think when uh, Icelanders get married, they have to actually check their DNA or their their history. Yeah, to find out, you know, they're not marrying somebody that's in their family. Absolutely. For that very reason, because they don't know the. Uh, I've lost track of all the names. And I mean, it's anyway. also a very, very small country. Like, I think that if I'm, I'm just remember what I was told on like the buses and stuff, but yeah. I think it was like population of like 330,000 yeah. and something like I was two. I say about thirds. the population of Belfast. Yeah, yeah. Belfast, I think and, that's why I remember. And, and, the, and the size of Ireland. Yeah. And like two thirds of the population live around the Reykjavik area. So you just that's have right. this like vast kind of like expanse yeah. wasteland, this wonderful, wonderful kind of like country and everyone spread out so much how much of the country Absolute. did you see i, I wasn't Absolute. there long enough not that much no because uh we had hired a car but um again if you hire a car in iceland uh you have to take out extra insurance if you're going <laughs> off i don't know whether you knew this or not but you have to take out extra insurance depending on where you're driving oh wow because um if you drive near where the volcanoes are not that the volcanoes are dangerous but if the dust blows, uh, the wind's so severe, the dust will take the paint of the car. Are you serious? No. Honestly, <laughs> you have to take out every, No, honestly, you have to take out extra insurance. So we only stuck to the, the sort of main routes. So yeah. uh, we went to the usual, you know, uh, geezer, where the, the word geezer comes from and all the rest, you know, and uh, uh, just the the usual haunts, but uh, beautiful place and uh, the big 
concert hall. Mm. Uh, concert hall is absolutely brilliant. But there, there again, you see, there's uh, the music, and strangely enough, we're well, it's not since this isn't strange. We're vegetarian, so I, I sought out uh, any vegetarian cafes or restaurants, mm. and uh, there was one. I think it was called Vinyl. Anyway, we went. <laughs> We went to this vinyl and we went in and we, we, we sat down and uh, there was a woman beside me actually and I, I, I looked across and I recognised uh, um, a necklace she was wearing and I said, excuse me, is that not Stenson to Belfast? And she said, yes, I'm from Bangor. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and I recognised the, the, the necklace. Anyway, uh, what I was going to tell you was we, we were sitting there and uh, we're having something to eat and drink. And uh, these two guys walked in. One guy walks up to the, the back and sets up a small keyboard. The other fellow went to the counter and sat down. Now, what the, the nature of this coffee was that they had turntables. And you just put on, uh, you could lift the, the vinyls out of the racks Unreal. and just put one on and play whatever you wanted. But anyway, this guy walked up to the back, set up the keyboard. I went up to the fellow at the, the counter, and I said, "What? Well, what's going on here? <laughs> and he said, uh, "He said this guy's from Russia, and he's on tour. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he's on tour from Russia, and he's going to play here. And I said, when a cafe? You know. <laughs> and he said, yeah. And his, his name was Fjordwalker. Fjordwalker. And... Uh, and away he went and he played all this electronic music. Absolutely fantastic. Unbelievable. Brilliant it was. And free. <laughs> Absolutely free. I thought this is great. Just sitting here relaxing and somebody playing as a wee bit of music. It's class. Absolutely brilliant. There's a lot of so unreal. That, that's what they say. There's a lot of unreal music comes out of Iceland. I mean I'm I'm, oh, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm mainstream when it comes to it, but like I listened to a lot of Sigur Ross oh, yeah. when I was growing up. And like recently, the the more popular one off Monster and Men. But I just think there's something about that. Oh no, no, you need part to listen the world. to. There's um, there's Asgir, A S G E I R, okay, and uh, Olafur Arnolds, Olafur Arnolds. Um, I suppose the only one I could tell you that that he's um, that he's quite famous for. He wrote the uh, music for Broadchurch. You know the series oh, on TV. Oh wow, yeah. I wrote it, but his work is absolutely fantastic. Wow. Just, just fantastic. He's really worth listening to. And then he has got a mate in Germany called Niels Fram. And Niels Fram is equally as good. Mm. They're all, um, well, piano, incidental, leaning towards popular classic. You know, that's yeah. great music. Just great music. So what honestly. about yourself? Are you uh, a avid fan of music? Do you play any yourself? I don't play a note. Interesting. And that's one of, my, one of my biggest regrets, that I never learned anything. Mm. I mean, I, it really does annoy me that I don't know how to play. Uh, but I um, love music. And the music that's within the whole of Ireland is absolutely superb at the minute. Mm. You couldn't fault it. I mean, really, you couldn't. You couldn't get better, honestly. I mean, you probably you probably know a lot of them anyway. You know, like Joshua Burnside. 
Talk to um, me about Burnside. What is it about his work that really grabs you? Because that's how Mark, Mark says that he, he always bumps into Joshua Burnside gigs. Actually, I think it was you introduced so Mark. That was me that introduced him. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. I, it's funny, you know, you, you read things, you hear things, you see things, and you put two and two together, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you come up with this name, you know, you make these connections, and you, you get a name, and you put it on, you think, whoa, hang on a minute. This guy's good. Well, what happened with us? Where uh, we were living in Ballygally at the time, and um, I'd read about Burnside, and uh, I happened to be on the internet, and I put his name in, and it said he was playing. You know, wait for it. He was playing a gig in Ballycastle <laughs> at seven o'clock on a Saturday night. And that, this was at five o'clock on a Saturday night. <laughs> and uh, I looked at it and I said to my wife, that's it. Get in the car. We're away. <laughs> we're going. So we drove to Bally Castle. We got there. And uh, we were in the car. We were we parked in the car park. I could see him actually in the backyard. of the. It was a bakery he was playing in. A bakery called uh, Ursher Minor. Yes, that's right. They make the. They've got the the bakery underground, sort of, and that's where they that's make the right. bread. That's yeah, exactly yeah. it. And that's where he was playing. And it was the launch of an, an album called Ephrata that went went on actually to win the Northern Ireland Prize for the best album of the year. Wow. Uh, we went in. They'd moved the tables away, and there was about, I would say, fifteen to twenty people. Phew. So we actually just stood around him and he came in and he played acoustic guitar, guitar by himself and, and sang. Absolutely amazing. Just beautiful. Beautiful. And uh, that was it. Hooked. And any time, any time, and that's when we, I started to tell everybody about him. Mm. Equally, my wife did as well. So any time he was playing, we were listening. So what does it actually, for you? He was, on, he was on the internet the other night, well, about a week ago doing one of those live broadcasts Class. but what is it yeah is it I the lyrics is it, it the is. sound he's, he's is it his got, voice is it his got, energy you know the, the lot because he if you look at his history i think it was um i think he had been in colombia i think it's colombia or some there's some south american country he had been in so he had picked up some of the rhythms of it but he's heavily into irish music as well mm. so between a combination of all these here He's come up with, I think, pretty unique sound. Yeah. But he's got great melodies, and I love melodies. I just love melodies where you come away and you're humming them or singing them. It's like the old grey whistle test. Remember the old grey whistle test? <laughs> maybe, you, maybe you don't. It's too long ago, is it? Yeah, I've no it idea what you're on. talking about. <laughs> well, the old grey whistle test, why they called it that was they used to get somebody in and they would uh, play their music or play their tune and there was a man at the door, their security man, who was old and grey, <laughs> and he would have, he would have listened as well. And then they would have, they would have come down afterwards, whoever was producing the show, and and say, "Could you remember the tune?" You know. Wow. So the old grey whistle test was, if he remembered it, it must have been good. I like that. I like that a lot. Maybe you should. Um kind of freelance yourself out for a grey whistle test <laughs> <laughs> no 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 not at all would I tell you there's a there's another man that goes to all the gigs and I can tell you the man is a legend and his name's Noel and he lives in Bangor 
Uh, I think his surname's Stevenson. I shouldn't really give names away, should I really? But anyway, Noel, everywhere you mentioned something earlier on, there was a gig I went to in uh, the black box and I sat down beside this man who was elderly, older than me. <laughs> and uh, and I heard him talking to the person beside and, and he said, yeah, monsters and men were very good. And I turned and I said, what? <laughs> You've seen monsters and men? And he said, yes, twice. And I said, I don't believe it. <laughs> and I got talking to him and he's been a very good friend ever since. Wow. And every, there's, and seriously, if there's anybody new in, in the city or in the town or wherever he's, where they're playing and I go, sure to be Noel. Wow. Sure to be Noel there. As a matter of fact, we went to a, a BBC um, concert and uh, it was a bit like Jules Holland, actually. You stood in the middle and the cameras went round you, you know, yeah. to the different that was on some time ago. And uh, they interviewed somebody that was placed in the audience, obviously, deliberately. <laughs> and uh, the floor manager was standing beside me and uh, I nudged her and I said, see that man over there? That's the man you should be interviewing. <laughs> to know. Because he's he's a mind of information. Wow. And uh, I said, the earpieces and all on. And she leaned down to me and she said, yes, the producer <laughs> the producer in the studio has just said, I see Noel's in tonight. <laughs> the man is a legend. Wow. Honestly, a legend. Knows everything about music. No. Seriously. So anyway, let sorry. me tell you, which venue do you miss the most? Because, you know, we're now like at least a month into this. Uh, you know, what venue can you not wait to get back to? Well, the black box always seems to have uh, the, the, the people that I want to see. Although many that that comes and goes as well, but the one that 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 I had booked to see, the one that I booked to see and it cancelled there because of this virus was um, the uh, what do I call it? The American Bar. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. The American up Bar. Up in Sailor Town. Group, yeah, the American Bar had a group coming up from Dublin called Cry Monster Cry. Uh, and I would urge you to listen to Cry Monster Cry. They have a one particular track called Citadel, mm. which is just beautiful. Wow. It's just mag- magical. Citadel by Cry Monster Cry. Now, there's another story. Uh, <laughs> what happened? What happened was, and as I said to you, we were determined to see as much as we could. And they were from Dublin. We picked up on them on the internet or on YouTube, and. Uh, we thought, if they're ever up here, we're going to go. Mm. And there, there they were. They were all in Derry, stroke London Derry. And uh, we thought, right, we're going. So we went up. Uh, we went into the venue, and it was cabaret style with about, again, about 20 people sitting yeah. at different tables. They were filming it as well, obviously. But um, my wife wanted a, a drink. So I went out to the bar. <laughs> Went out to the bar, was standing at the bar, and uh, I ordered a drink. And the, the fellow beside me said he was drinking a pint of Guinness. And he said, uh, where are you from then? And I said, <laughs> oh, Bally Golly. And he says, whoa, how far is that? And I says, what took us about an hour and a half. I said, an hour and a half? You come up here for an hour? For just who you come to see? And I says, well, cry, monster, cry. 
I says, you'd never heard of them, you know? And he says, ah, oh, right, right. Anyway, he, I turned to go away and he says, where are you going? And I said, I'm back in. You know, my wife went for a drink. Concert started. Uh, there was different people on. And he says, no, wait, 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 hang on, hang on. So uh, I said, what is it? What is it? You don't have to go. And he says, wait, here, here now, wait. And the toilet doors opened up and out came <laughs> Richie and Jamie Martin. Wow. And he says, it's Cry Monster Cry. <laughs> he says, I'm the uncle. They're staying with me tonight. <laughs> so he introduced me to them. They shook hands with me. They said, thanks very much. They asked me to go and get my wife. So they're going to introduce them, you know, themselves to my wife. Mm. And uh, when we were leaving that night, I heard a voice. They shouted on me and, and insisted that I'd take a CD with me. Wow. You know, just, uh, and then we happened to go to another concert in Derry. Uh, it was um, oh, a whole lot of people playing together, actually. It was a, a joint thing. And they were there, and they saw us. They saw us. They recognised us. They come up and shook hands with us and mentioned us in the uh, when they were playing. That's unbelievable. Such nice people. Class. That's what I say. You meet such nice people. Genuinely lovely people. Unreal. It is unreal. It's just strange how you. It's just strange how you meet these people. Honestly, yeah. how did you it meet really your is. wife? My wife, well, she was, well, I was in Lauren at the time and, and she was in Lauren and, and that's basically it. We just met in Lauren. <laughs> I, I, seriously, I'd just gone to discos and things at that time, which were big. Um, but then she joined the post office as well. Happy days. And uh, she was much better than, than <laughs> I was, you know. I, I I just bluffed my way through the whole thing. <laughs> it's uh, when you can talk, you can bluff. Sure. Not totally, not totally. I have to say, you have to know a bit, but uh, but if you can talk, you can talk away out of a lot of uh, situations. And so, there were a lot of situations. Yeah, tell us about some of your uh, your post office uh, situations. Ah, uh, uh, there was. It's it's the funny ones, you know, because at the height of the troubles, you know, there was hostage situations and kidnaps and robberies and burglaries and oh, you name it, uh, and. Uh, there was things like, and you had, you had to write reports on the robberies and send them to London. You mm. recorded them. And of course, they would ring up and say, you're joking here now. You're having us on here now, aren't you? And I said, no, 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 no. This is genuine. Like, um, there was one in a rural area. And uh, the post office in rural areas used to be like, a, unfortunately, like a telephone box. And you opened the door and went in and shut it, you know, and served yeah. somebody. Come back out. Security was terrible like in those days for that, that type of office. But anyway, uh, you would have had that in a small rural office. And there was one fellow went in and there was a couple of people in front of him uh, at, in the shop. So he joined the queue and uh, as, they, as this elderly woman served the other two people he walked forward and he sort of backed off and he said could I have 20 cigarettes please so she gave him the cigarettes and as he put them in his pocket he pulled a gun through a bag at her and he said right get in get in there and fill that bag full of money which she which he did she duly did she came out she gave him the bag of money he turned ran to the door and she said hey boy where are you going 
And he turned and he says, what, what? He says, you haven't paid me for the cigarettes. <laughs> so he puts the gun under his arm, holds it back, pays her for the cigarettes and leaves. Unbelievable. Now that's true. <laughs> Why do you that's think he did it in the moment? Do you think he was just so shocked that she would have no, the, the gumption that. to ask it's that? Or what that. was that? What, 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 you, what, you, what you, you, you had to understand, it, it, it came... Uh, well, as I say, the more you dealt with these things, the more you realised was that uh, a lot of the people that were doing the robberies knew that the post office was a big business. It was a national, well, not multinational, but it was a national business. Yeah. And it was coming off a broad back. So as far as they were concerned, they were fair game. Mm. But the person that owned the shop, they were local. They were somebody they maybe knew, actually. Yeah. So they weren't going to punish them. So the cigarettes were hers. The money was a post office. Wow. That's the way it worked. There you go. Although, mind you, I can remember one, another office where uh, you were never... I'm not giving away. We signed the Official Secrets Act, so I'm not telling you the names of people or the offices or whatever. But I remember one particular branch. You weren't supposed to give away what was stolen because, obviously, somebody would know what was in the office and it yeah. might spawn another robbery. So uh, there was one particular robbery where it was reported in the paper that 7,000 was taken. Mm. And uh, I went to him and the guy and I said, who told, who told the paper 7,000? He said, I did. I said, sure, I told you, never tell the paper what was taken. You know, that you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And I said, no way. There's only 700 taken. How did they get 7,000? And, and he said, but I told them 7,000. And I said, what did you do that for? And he says, well, it was a couple of young fellows, and see when they go back, they're in big trouble. <laughs> you know, and you think, I said, well, fair enough, that's okay. I'll let you away with that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was always, there was always, a, there was another one, there was another post office that owned a wool shop. And uh, they sold the netted cardigans and different wee bits and pieces, but they had a post office as well. And a young fella came in and said, uh, do you sell balaclavas? And she said, yeah, I do, yeah. Could have a dozen, please. <laughs> you can't even believe I, that, like. I know that. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I had one. I remember one where... Uh, the guy went in to rob the post office and everybody in the office started to scream. You know, they went into hysterics. Yeah. And he actually pulled the balaclava up and he says, look, it's only me. Relax. And put it back down again and went on with the robbery. Honestly. Oh. Honestly. But you think, you know, that couldn't happen. Yeah. I mean, that's what we used to get from London, you know. Don't be silly. But, but it did. Yeah. It did. Because it was humorous, you know. The, you had to see the the humorous side. Otherwise, otherwise, it would have driven you mad. Absolutely, to be honest. Yeah. Because there were some, like I'm not trying to make jesting of the whole thing, because there were some really, uh, you know, situations that were extremely dicey, uh, where people suffered, especially from post traumatic stress and things like that. There, you know. Yeah. So, uh, although, as I say, I can make fun of it it wasn't all fun it wasn't all fun it was tough going yeah uh, and i'm sure a lot of people have told you that that it was tough going but it was nice to come out the other side actually absolutely so mark as mentioned um 
He said there's a wonderful story that Terry told on Radio Ulster one time. Ah, uh, it ah uh, well, you know our daughter, they had moved me, and obviously I had to take a family to England, uh, and it was between Carlisle and Newcastle. Uh, along the A69, it was a small place called Gillsland. And was this for security, uh, or what was this? No, no, I worked for marketing, and what happened was um, I covered Northern Ireland, and Northern Ireland was so small. I mean, really, you could drive around Northern Ireland in a day, yeah. uh, which I often did. Uh, but the other the other boys in that that covered England and Scotland and that, I mean, they couldn't manage uh, the Scottish guys, there were three of them covering the whole of Scotland and the islands. So My goodness. They used, to, uh, they used to ring up and say, what are you doing? You know, are you, are you free? Could you could you manage it? So, I mean, that's why they sent me to uh, Shetland and Orkney and Arran. And you know, they used to say, do you, do you think you could do that for us? <laughs> <laughs> could you just pop, pop down the road there, would you? I Get us a wee ahead. bit of milk. <laughs> I, no, I'll do it for you. No. But I mean, I was jumping and I couldn't wait to get going. <laughs> but anyway, as it transpired, uh, I was spending more time over there than I was here. So they said, why didn't you come over? You live here and go back and cover Northern Ireland then, as and when, which I did. But uh, we were only, uh, what, um, about two months in, if it was even that. Probably a month, and our daughter uh, got bruises on her legs, mm. um, and she was limping slightly. Well, we thought she'd just fallen, you know, but we kept an eye on her. Uh, but the bruises started on the top of her feet as well, which is an unusual place to get bruises. Yeah. Anyway, we took her to the doctor. Where we lived, it was so rural. The doctor actually came to the community hall. Uh, to see you but it was a Sunday night so he told us to go to the, excuse me told us to go to the house to see him now a friend of ours their daughter had a thing called purpia which is like a virus that passes but you have to rest and I said to him is it purpia and he said yeah it looks like it but um, I booked you in to see to see somebody at uh, nine o'clock in Newcastle upon Tyne the next morning. Now, with hindsight, now with hindsight, I mean, I didn't think about it then. With hindsight, yeah. how often do you get an appointment at nine o'clock in the morning the next day? Yeah, yeah. You know, but I didn't think at the time. You know, I don't know why. But anyway, my wife went and I was in Glasgow of all places. I thought everything was okay. And they rang me up to tell me that uh, my daughter had leukemia. Uh, and uh, actually, quite honestly, I thought, "Ah, oh, I'm all right," you know. And I tried to drive home, and I had to actually ring the other guys from Scotland. Who two of them came and drove me home because wow. I just went to pieces. Absolutely. And uh, in a way, the following day, we had to go to Newcastle upon Tyne for the start, the treatment to start immediately. And. Uh, that's how quickly leukemia cells multiply. Mm. Uh, I mean, they multiply into the millions. That's crazy. You know, in a day. You know, so uh, we went. We went. I'll tell you another story actually that, that links in with it. Um, we went there the, the following day, and they ushered us into a side ward and said the specialist would see us, yeah, in the next couple of minutes. And just as they walked out, somebody else walked in, 
and said, I believe you're from Northern Ireland. And I said, yeah, I'm actually, you know. And he said, well, our son was a soldier in Northern Ireland, and but wow. he's back home now. And and I said, all oh, right, right. He said, uh, he's coming in tomorrow to see his brother and the ward. Would you like to meet him? Well, I could have actually seen him far enough, you know. Because, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was the first day and we wanted to get things going. And, yeah. But I didn't want to be ignorant. So I said, yes. And um, and she said, where are you from? And I said, well, originally Lauren. And she says, no, I never heard of it. And I said, where are you from yourself? And she said, color coats. And I said, oh, I color coats. And she said, oh, you've heard of it? I said, oh, yeah, I've heard of color coats. She says, well, the people around here haven't heard of it. How do you know it? <laughs> and I said, well, friends of yours years ago left to live in color coats. So I know it's north of Newcastle. Yeah. And she looked at me and she said, is their name such and such? <laughs> and I said, yes, it is, actually. And she says, yeah, well, I mind their children when they're at school. Mad. Or when they're at work, sorry. And I thought, here, within about 30 seconds, <laughs> had made a, we had made a link. Absolutely. It's like that. It's the, the Northern Irish superpower, I think. We just have this uncanny I mean, you ability. Start to think, you know. Why did this happen? You know, who, who did that? You know, you, you start to wonder, you know, but running things through your head. Anyway, sorry, I, I, to get back to the original story was they, um, that day they brought us in and they told us what the treatment would be. And the treatment was the same throughout the UK. But uh, they had a special way of doing things and that um, they listed everything down on a schedule. Now, this schedule was chock block. I mean, it was absolutely, the page was literally black wow. with what was going to happen. And I said, I don't understand that. I haven't a clue what that is. And the specialist, she said, uh, well, don't worry about it. She said, within a month, you'll know everything. And she was right. <laughs> she was right. I could have read that. And my wife and anybody in that ward could have read what the treatment was going to be, you know, uh, when she would get chemotherapy, uh, when she would get injections, you know, all the rest of it. So um, anyway, she'd, give, she'd given us this schedule and um, I was a bit overawed, you know, and obviously a bit worried and tense and, well, got it, to be honest, you know, really. Yeah. My wife had to stay in the hospital with my daughter. So I come back home and picked the three boys up. Somebody was looking after them for us. And uh, I picked the three boys up, and they were all young. They were, what, seven, five, and three. And I sat them down, and I thought, what am I going to tell them? Mm. And I thought, tell them the truth. You know, they'll probably not understand me, but I'll tell them the truth. So uh, I sat them down in front of me, told them everything that's going to happen, that she would lose her hair, you know, and she might come back and the other children might laugh at her and, uh, you know, serious things could happen, you know, could she could even uh, die from mm -hmm. it. But I said, we're being positive, everything's going to be okay, you know. Uh, you understand me. You understand what's going to happen? And they never spoke. Wow. They never spoke. They just sat and looked at me and listened. And um, 
at the end of it, you know, I thought, I wonder, do they have they taken this in? Mm. And I looked at them and I said, well, there's anything you want to ask me? And the eldest boy looked at me and said, yeah. And he says, what is it? And he said, what are you making for tea? Hmm. Do you know, that got me. Wow. It got me because I was only concerned about me and, mm. and my daughter. And, and I know it's an old cliche, you know, life goes on and all the rest. But it does. Yeah. It does, you know. And he couldn't have asked a better question. Yeah. It took me aback. You know, and I, and I, I, had, to, I had to walk into the other room. And, uh, and I cried my eyes out. Yeah. Because it was perfect. It was just perfect. And it made me understand, you know, what I had to do, what we all had to do. My wife was still in hospital with my daughter and she was getting it tougher than I was. So it was easy for me by comparison. Yeah. But although, men you, I had to travel back and forward every day. But, uh, but it, um, and some of the things you saw there, oh, dear me, dear me, cruel, just cruel. But that sense of children's ward. That sense of responsibility, in a weird way, this is kind of the the second time I've heard you kind of come back to that because you know you obviously mentioned that you wanted to go to art college, you wanted to do all these things, and then it was the the responsibility of being a parent and being a husband drove you down other options, and so as a young man, as someone who is I, I'm actually about to go into fatherhood. We're having our first baby in a couple of months. Um, uh-huh. How important do you think that responsibility has been in your own life? Well, it's difficult to explain because the thing is, when, you, when you're put into situations like that, there, it all kicks in. Yeah. It all kicks in and you seem to run uh, without thinking. Wow. You know, you just do it. You just do it because, you know, well, who else is going to do it? Yeah. Who else is going to do it? And, you, you, I mean, when that happens, you, you, you tend to think, why us? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I remember thinking that, why us? Why us? And then I thought, I've heard of this happening to other people. Yeah. And you just dismiss it. Yeah. Oh, oh isn't that sad? Oh, that's terrible. And then you just get on with things. <laughs> and I thought, well, it's us this time. It's us. It's us. So... Who else is going to do anything? Yeah. Nobody. So get on with it. And that's what it's about. It's about looking after your family and, and doing your best for them and supporting them. And uh, anything that you want to do, and I know it's a terrible thing to say, but anything you want to do or anything you want it to do falls by the wayside. Yeah. It just falls by the wayside. And you, you get your priorities right. And that's it. Absolutely. You get your priorities right. And you... But um, in your case, Matthew, if you're having a child, you'll realise when that child is born and you look at it, that's it. Mm. That's it. It all comes true when that child is born, you know, and you look at it and you think, that's mine. And you'll do anything for that child. Wow. Anything. Anything. And I mean, seriously, you'll remember that. When Honestly, I mean, seriously, you really will you know, do anything for that child. Wow. Sorry, I'm rattling on. Sorry, I apologise. No, don't apologise. This, this is typical of me because, as I said to you, 
Matthew, I'm, I'm nobody. I just work in the post office. Uh, I have pastimes and and hobbies, just the same as anybody else. Uh, there's a lot of people have been through similar things to me. I don't know. I'm just I'm just a mouth. Well, quite honest. it's your turn now <laughs> on this show anyway. It's your turn to, to share your story, what you've done and what you really appreciate. But I'm curious, like one of the things... Uh, we start to kind of wrap up the these conversations with uh, some stock questions. So these are questions we ask every single person. Uh-huh. And I'm curious to hear... These are the hard ones. These, these are the difficult ones. Yeah, these are the, <laughs> these are the, the hard hitters. Um, out of everything you've experienced, out of everything you've done, is there something that you could confidently describe as your most successful moment or most successful thing? No, I think that's very difficult because there's been so many moments, just all the ones I've rattled there through, you know, mm. about my daughter being ill and, and, and the family. and. Uh, so then I if, really I, was, if, honestly, if I was to I change it slightly know. then and I was to ask you, what does success look like in your opinion? Or what is success according to Terry Doherty? Uh, it's a difficult one too. It's it's not money. It's It's getting through life and getting through getting through all the all the problems and dealing with them because uh as they always say you know be kind be kind to everybody because everybody you speak to has their own problem that they're dealing with mm. so uh and that's the main thing be kind or be as kind as you can sometimes that's extremely extremely difficult yeah. but but uh <laughs> everybody's going through their own problems so uh the success is i've got this far yeah uh, not easy, and I'm not the best person in the world. I've, I've got a temper. I can be cheeky. I can be sarcastic. Um, I've met some really lovely people. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm successful. Yeah, it's awesome. So flip side of that, then, what about the other than what you've already mentioned? Is there something that you have found incredibly challenging in your life on a personal level? And if you don't mind sharing, how were you able to overcome it? Well, that, well, again, that's that's more to do with uh, my daughter having the, the leukemia. Mm. That was the biggest the biggest thing I've ever overcome, and I mean, it still comes back to haunt me. Yeah. Uh, e- even now, it comes back to haunt me. Um, there's times where it, where it will get me down, where I remember all the things that happened, and uh, the different people I met, and uh, I remember. Sorry, I may be off on a tangent. I, I'm I'm prone to do that. And I can remember being in the ward, and the ward was like it's only home, yeah. from home for everybody, and everybody knew each other. And there was one girl come in, and she sat in the bed, and nobody came to visit her. So I thought, oh, I'll go, up, I'll go up and speak to this girl, you know. And uh, and she was fourteen, she was fourteen year old. Uh, and I said, "Oh, is is there nobody visiting you tonight?" And she says, "No, no, no. They'll they'll be in tomorrow or something like that." There, you know. And I said, "Oh, you in just you in to get the treatment started?" And she she looked at me. She says, "No, this is the third time. Wow. I'm in. To, I'm in to die." And she was fourteen. How <laughs> can somebody at fourteen tell you that? Honestly. And she she never really, you know, she just accepted it. Yeah. You know, and I couldn't. I had to 
say bye, you know, and walk away because it was times like that, you know, oh, God, they got me. You know, and I went to somebody's funeral, one of the children died, and I went to the funeral, and the nurses were standing beside me, and they're all crying. Mm. And I said, uh, I thought nurses weren't supposed to cry. And they said, well, the time we stop crying is the time we pack this job in. Wow. You know, times like that, you know, oh, tough. Really tough. So what do you do on the days that you're, you're down for whatever reason? You know, is there anything, any way you have um, figured out how to endure it or get through it? Uh, my normal days, I'm all right. I'm okay. You know, as I say, there's worse people, worse people often than, than, than I am. You know, I'm okay. No, I'm fine. You know, I've I've I've, I've three grandchildren now, so although uh, my new, obviously, you can't see them too often. But I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, three grandchildren and, and and one recent one in uh, New Zealand. Wow. And we had just we were just back from New Zealand shortly before this virus thing kicked in. Incredible. We we just got back and no more. So uh I mean it was a joy to get out there and uh, and see her. Uh my son's actually married to a girl that's uh, half Maori, half uh, Tongan. Oh cool. So uh when we went <laughs> when we had the, the wedding originally it was uh we had uh, we had kilts on and they arrived in, <laughs> and they arrived in Tongan national dress unbelievable so which were woven uh leaves you know long the men actually had long skirts out of woven palm leaves class so it was different <laughs> certainly different so that was nice it was nice to get over and see see the the, the grand daughter it's good so uh i sorry i'm away off on a tangent again sorry matthew oh no you're absolutely grand this is great this is uh the joy of long interviews on a podcast like this it's uh we don't it's not like we just have a two minute slot on radio you know so but there are there's only two questions left you'll be glad to hear sure um first one is if you could take anyone from northern ireland out for a cup of tea now they could be dead they could be alive they could be from the pages of history they could be someone you saw yesterday but who would you take? Where would you take them, and why? Oh dear me! But these are hard questions. <laughs> Extremely hard questions. <laughs> Difficult because there's so many people. You know, I'd, some of the nicest people I've met, and some of the most sincere people, and, and with all their own stories, have been in the post office. I mean, I'm back working two days a week uh, at the counter. Uh, and we're still open, actually. So, uh, and you meet some of the nicest people. Yeah, real genuine people, lovely people that uh, that come in and and try and help you as well. So, um, it would be somebody. It would be one of the customers, probably. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was one customer. Uh, I had worked in Glengormley at one stage, quite recently, and uh, there was one customer. Uh, I'll not give you his name. Sorry, I apologise. But uh, he's slightly disabled, anyway. And, and uh, I spoke to him, and he said he he had he was a singer songwriter as well. So me being interested in music, I asked him, and uh, he told me all about it. And uh, anyway, he said that his his mate was coming over from uh, New York, uh, and uh, he was there was something on in the Mac that he had organized and he had been invited to it. So he says, uh, 
he's an artist. And I says, oh, go on ahead. Tell me. Tell me. <laughs> and he said, uh, uh, Oliver Jeffers, you call him. Oh, nice. Said, oh, for dear sake, not Oliver <laughs> Love has worked. And he says, oh, you've heard of him. Yeah, he's coming across. So he's in the mic and he's going to do this uh, art demonstration or uh, conceptual thing. Anyway, uh, he says, I'll get you an invite. Well, the, t- the time passed and never got an invite. And uh, he-, he came in and he said, uh, couldn't get you an invite. There were only people... Uh, special people and invited that knew his uh, Oliver Jeffers' father. So Oliver Jeffers had painted a picture, a portrait of his father. Wow. And uh, they interviewed each person to speak about his father, you know, what they knew about him, Absolutely. background and whatever. But then he had a, a bath of enamel paint and he dipped the, the painting into its eyes in the enamel paint and said, that's it, it's over. Wow, he's gone, he's finished, and that that there means you know it's an end <sighs> with this painting. So he then produced uh, twenty photographs, vintage photographs he had bought in New York, and he did the same with them, and he dipped them in the paint and gave them gave them one each as a memento. Yeah, and um, well, he told me all this, and. Um, the, the week after that, his mother came in with an envelope and slid it onto the counter and said, that's for you. And uh, I'll tell you his first name, Stephen. I'll tell you his first name. That's for you from Stephen. Now I opened it up and it was the photograph of the wee memento wow. that Oliver Jeffers had done. And on the back, it, it was signed to Terry from Oliver. Wow. And did it. And again... I had to walk away, you know. I thought, my God, why, why, you know, why would he give it to me? You know, mm. why, why would he be so kind and so thoughtful to give it to me? And um, anyway, I saw him the following week, and he said, "I bet you thought that was, it was me bluffing, you know." You don't believe me. <laughs> and I said, "Of course I believe you. Of course I believe you." So that night, a video came through on my phone of Oliver Jeffers signing the, the the photograph and holding it up and said, Stephen wanted you to have that, Terry. Wow. Now, that's just a customer. That was just a customer Whew. that came in. How nice can that be? That's know? unbelievable. How thoughtful can that be? Honestly. So if I was taking somebody out, it would be somebody like Stephen. Nice. Because he deserves it. Absolutely. Where would you take him? Where do you like to go for a wee, wee couple? Uh, oh, it's just an advert now, is it? Now? It is. It's sponsored <laughs> by whoever you say. Is it? We call them up and we, we, we blackmail them for money. They? We say, look, you better pay us. You better pay us well, 20 quid. For a, cup, uh, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. It's, uh, what do they call it? The uh, establishment, is it? Oh, yes. Yeah. In the cathedral quarter. In the cathedral uh, quarter. I love it. Yeah. On the corner there. Established. Sorry, I apologize. Sorry. I apologize. Don't apologize. Aye. Aye. No, no, I love it. Aye. It's so does class. my wife. Cool. Aye, it is class, and I agree so with good. you. And I know Mark. It's good get, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> no, he's a big fan. That, but he, it, he's it talked really about it. Good. He really he talks about it a lot. Don't worry. Oh, it's fantastic. Class. Yes. If I was going to get something to eat, it would probably be the Parsons Nose in Hillsborough. Oh, yeah? You like that? <laughs> I love it. Cool. Aye. Uh, Aye. Well, we're, we're vegetarian and... and uh, some of us are vegan as well, so they give a they have a great 
uh, vegetarian vegan uh, menu. Epic. Complete separate menu. It's not like one item yeah. here and there. Yeah. You know, a complete complete menu. It's deadly. Yeah. Uh, if you, where's your favorite place to get ice cream in Northern Ireland? Ice cream. <laughs> I haven't had ice cream in ages. <laughs> ages. Uh, again, probably because of, of memories. We lived in Ballygally, and the shop in Ballygally is owned by a guy called, uh, well, uh, Tim and his son, Graham and Chris mm. uh, Todd. And Graham, Todd, and Chris Todd are two of the nicest people you'd ever wish to meet. Class. And I mean, genuinely lovely people. Lovely people. Always a time for you. Always a joke. <laughs> Always a joke for you when you go in, whatever. And they served ice cream, and it was, uh, well, it was Maud's ice cream. Nice. And uh, they always had a great selection of it. And they've got a great, if you go outside their shop, they Chris, who had gone to art college as well, Chris came up with this great idea where he did a mural of uh, um, different characters for the ice cream. And uh, there's dotted lines where you where you sit, you know, for your face, <laughs> and you can take a you can take a photograph of yourself with Maud's ice cream. <laughs> and and uh, for that reason, love the people, lovely Graham Todd and Chris Todd, lovely Class. people. Uh, favorite, that's where I would go to get my ice cream. Favourite place to get a takeaway in Northern Ireland? Oh, dear me. Oh. Uh, well, it would be Chinese. Nice. And uh, it would be in Lisburn, and it's closed at the minute, and it's Man Lee. Oh. Man Lee Chinese in Lisburn. Uh, again, seems to be a, a, a similar theme here. Uh, lovely people. Peter. Uh, and he's a lovely man, always has time to speak to you, always offers new things, <laughs> always, always, no, seriously, lovely man. And uh, actually, his daughter, his daughter, uh, and I can't remember, God, her, her first name has slipped my mind, her surname is Arbuthnot, and she won that competition on BBC, you know, for the best the best baker or oh really wow or the not the best baker the best menu or whatever i can't remember the exact term unbelievable any of those but i did watch it but you know if you look her up susie susie arbuthnot uh she lives in lega korea i believe class in lisbon and uh uh, she won and he's a lovely person and i can see where she gets it from too because of it brilliant So. so final final question okay uh, and this is this is the kind of one I like to finish on. But if we could somehow, you know, hop in a wee time machine and go back in time, and you had a few minutes of eighteen-year-old Terry's time, what sort of things would you say to him? What advice would you give him? Slow down, slow down, and concentrate because I'm similar now, actually, because. Uh, I jump about, and you, you probably gathered that from, from the way I've been talking. I jump about from subject to subject, you know, and go off on tangents and whatever. And uh, I've done so many things. So, really, you know, it's like a jack of all trades and master of none. Mm. You know, it's all right. I can talk. I, I told you before about bluffing away, you know. So, whatever subject somebody came up with, I could bluff them away with it. Yeah. But underneath it all, didn't know that much. 
didn't know that much really at the end of the day. So uh, I would concentrate on one subject and, uh, well, as I say, I couldn't do it at the time and maybe I'm too old now to, to start thinking about it. But I would concentrate on one subject and see it through. Unbelievable. Well, I would say you'll get on just fine, Terry. <laughs> After talking to you, I'm sure you will, uh, you'll you'll never run out of things to do or run out of new experiences. It's... Uh, it's people. People are fantastic. Honestly, people are fantastic. Even talking to you, Matthew. I mean, the very fact that you asked me to come on this thing, and that was one thing that I always said before. You know, if somebody offers you a new experience, go for it. Mm. Go for it. It's not going to come back again. Yeah. You know, you know, go for it. Do it. Maybe, maybe it'll be poor. Maybe it'll be bad. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be excellent. But go for it because it's a new experience and you always want new experiences are fantastic absolutely, absolutely fantastic and you just love them you know and you love meeting new people and them telling you new stories and ah oh, for dear sake it's 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 brilliant well, just, that's what i say one of the reasons why i'm still in the post office yeah the, the, the stories that people tell me are just you know and the lengths they have you know and you, you think to yourself what Class. This person's just come in, you know, and they're getting a pension or something. And they tell you, you know, their their relatives or or where they've been, or you know, maybe some woman there. She was Japanese and she lived in Jamaica all her life, you know. And she tells you these stories, and you think, my God, eh? <laughs> it's just fantastic. So good. Well, when all this is over, when uh, the lockdown's lifted, we will have to go and. Yeah, get a wee cuppa, you, me, Mark, and established, and uh, meet you face to face and hear some more. That'd be good crack. Honestly, Matthew, I would, I would genuinely love to, and I'll tell you some stories that will make your your toast hurt. That I wouldn't, that I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to say on, on, on online here. You know, I. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Man. Well, here, thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate no, thank it. Thank you. I hope, I hope you get something out of that. I hope I haven't embarrassed myself. I hope I haven't given too much away. Not at all. Or I hope I've given you enough. Absolutely. To work man. on. Totally. It was really, really enjoyable, and uh, I just love, but, I love hearing all those stories. I love hearing stories of the past as well, because uh, not to rub it in or anything, but you know, I, I'm 25. There's a lot of Northern Ireland I haven't known about. There's a lot of stories that kind of get you know the fall through the cracks and so any opportunity i have to kind of um peel some of those stories back i just think is, is a real pleasure so thank you uh, i really enjoy well, the, the, the thing is with northern ireland is it's the, the characters in northern ireland the people in northern ireland are absolutely brilliant Aren't they? I mean, they really are they really are fantastic they're lovely people you know when they can tell you some great i mean okay some of them are yarns but <laughs> hey funny i watched that thing last night quiz and uh, I thought it was quite funny because it was coming on here today. So I was very careful. Uh, the barrister who was defending um, the major, I don't know whether you watched it or not. No, I didn't nope. get a chance. It's about, you know, the who wants to be a millionaire. But the barrister that was defending him said that uh, uh, about memories. Um, and she said, the thing is, when you have memories, what you do is you go back to the last time you told the tale. Ah. You don't go back to the original memory. That's it. You go back to the last time. So what happens is, in between times, 
you embellish it or you change it mm. or you start to believe something that hasn't happened. Yeah. And that was her that was her defense. And I thought, be careful tomorrow, Terry. <laughs> watch, watch you don't embellish any of these things but I haven't I genuinely haven't that's great man awesome well um, have a great rest of your day I'll send you a wee email here we um, had the chance to interview Oliver Jeffers last week so I think you'd enjoy listening to that one I'll, I'll send Did it you? over to Seriously? you yeah I'll send it over it was fascinating you, 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 start, honestly. You, you start to think you know that he just does children's books he doesn't yeah he doesn't actually like you to say that. I think he likes to say that books are for everybody. Man's brilliant. Yeah. Listen, Matthew, thanks very much. No, gentlemen. Thank you thanks very for much. Your time. Cheers, mate. And uh, all the best. I'll send this over to you when it's done. Cheers, man. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. See ya. Bye. 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 I saw a great meme. Um, <laughs> someone sent it to me. It's like a Northern Irish meme, and it was like, um, what was it? It was a photo of. Uh, Liam Neeson in Taken and uh, he was like uh, at the top it just says alright alright cheers all the best bye 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 and then like at the very bottom of the foot it went bye 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 yep bye bye okay bye now bye 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 and the title was like how every Northern Irish person ends a phone call <laughs> it's totally true I don't know why it's like I always got raked for that whenever I lived uh, in the States or, or other places that weren't Northern Ireland they're always like why do you say goodbye like a million times and I was like Ah, that is a wee Northern Irish quirk. You're right. Fair play to you. Fair play. So yeah, really hope you enjoyed that. Uh, like I said at the start, I had no real agenda there with Terry. Just really wanted to um, kind of shoot the breeze with him and, and kick back and hear some of those amazing stories. And uh, well, Mark Todd certainly was right. Terry has plenty of class stories to tell. And uh, I really enjoyed hearing them. Some funny, some sad, uh, some insightful and uh, he's totally right. I mean, and he's one of them. Northern Ireland is full of just incredible people who have amazing stories to tell. And I am really glad that we had the chance to to hear Terry's there. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed that. Hope you um, are having a good day so far. Uh, maybe you listen to this whenever you're out on your one walk a day or whatever it is. Maybe you listen to this five years later and there is no lockdown and you're wondering, what the heck are they talking about a lockdown for? Uh, but but wherever you are or whatever you've been doing the last um, the last wee while listen to this episode I uh, hope these stories added to your day in some way I uh, hope they got you through it and put a smile on your face or moved you in some sort of way and uh, if you'd like to check out over 130 interviews just like this one with incredible people from Northern Ireland you can head to bestofbelfast.org uh, where you can find the whole kind of archive the whole back catalogue including the Oliver Jeffers interview like I was just saying to Terry there at the end and um yeah they're there waiting for you whenever you feel like uh you feel like flicking through them and i know for a fact there's more than a handful of uh, amazing people that you would love to find out more about and hear their story so other than that just want to say thanks again to terry thank you very much for listening thanks to mark for the introduction to terry and until next time all the very best stay safe call your grannies and uh yeah please take care of yourself cheers <laughs>